Welcome to the Giant Step Podcast with your host, Maurice Bernstein, as we take you on a journey into music and culture from the world of Giant Step. Hi, and welcome to another edition of the Giant Step Podcast, where we take you on a journey into music and culture. I'm your host, Morris Bernstein. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Giant Step. And this week, uh, I'm very honored to have the amazing TK Wanda uh, as my guest. TK is a rapper, singer, activist, model, illustrator, and writer and really one of the most inspirational um, people I know. Um, She's going to talk about her early life uh, growing up in Maryland with her twin sister, coming to New York as an aspiring spoken word artist, how she got into the music business, uh, and her role in in fashion as well, um, and how she stood up to inequalities within that industry. We're also going to talk about her new music that she's put out and what's been happening over the last year during lockdown, uh, Black Lives Matter, and how she is trying to build a better future. This was originally a uh, an IG Live from Giant Step uh, that was done on the, on the 30th of April, 2021. So uh, please uh, just um, be aware that there might be a couple of sort of noise glitches, uh, but the content, as usual, is well worth listening to. Uh, and if you have any thoughts or comments about our podcast series or Giant Step, uh, the agency, uh, please visit us on our website, giantstep.net, and also follow us on Instagram at Giant Step. So please enjoy my conversation with TK Wanda. How are you, Morris? I, I'm good. The the, good. the 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 crazy thing is, and I, and I think this is this goes to show that times are a changing for the better. Yes. Is we actually saw each other in person last night. That was yeah. So it was excellent. <laughs> That's a great thing about New York. <laughs> yeah, we. But I mean, I, that it's the first time I've actually said that to somebody in a long time. Um, we went out. We, well, we were both out. Uh, at a, the it was the reopening of Jimmy's uh, at the top of the St James Hotel. Yes. I was there, and you were there, and it was just so yes. it was just so great <laughs> seeing you in person and um, just seeing people in person and giving people hugs, and it it was lovely. Did you have a good time? I did. I had a wonderful time. I was saying that it was the first time I had been out in New York for over a year. And I ran into quite a few people and it was great seeing friends, you included. So it was a beautiful night. Yeah, great. Awesome. Well, I, I'm so happy that you're joining me on on this Instagram live. Um, and, you know, we, we obviously we dive a lot of time and your your story is incredible. And also, you know, what you do, uh, you know, in, in, in your life is also incredible. So I really want to spend most of the time just talking about that. So, um 
you know, as always, you know, my first my first question is, you know, your beginning, and you have um, a very unique beginning. Um, you are a twin. Um, I am. Hi, Soprano. I think she's watching. <laughs> she 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 is watching. Yes. Um, and, and so my first question is, who's older? Cipriana. She's 15 uh, minutes older. 15 minutes. And does yeah. she pull rank on you for that 15 minutes? No, she <laughs> never does. I was just real reluctant to come out to the world. So I let her investigate first. <laughs> so it was okay. And I came out. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So um, you grew up in Baltimore? Grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, and uh, lived there for most of my childhood, then moved to DC and then moved to New York. Uh, I talked about my past often uh, with my sister. Uh, we had a very difficult childhood filled with violence and a lot of love. Uh, we had a, a father who was very abusive and violent and the most incredible mother that we could ever hope to ask for. And so having that dichotomy of relationships between our parents, it was... <laughs> it was scary as a kid. Um, we lived in fear. Um, and that's another reason why my sister and I are so close because I felt in a way that we were each other's therapy because we always had someone to talk to. We could always talk to each other. Uh, we were going through the same thing and um, it was very tumultuous, but going through those obstacles made it easier because I had my best friend by my side. So <clears throat> once we left Maryland and my mother left our father. We moved to DC and I really had a great love and passion for reading and writing. Uh, you know, when we would get in trouble when we were younger, our father would make us write book reports. And for me, that wasn't a punishment, but I never told him that because I wanted him to he take would, that He would have changed, yeah, he would have changed <laughs> yeah. the punishment. Yeah. <laughs> if he knew that, I just, I loved it. I loved reading, I loved writing, and that's how I have a great passion for writing because of reading. And I started writing. So I wrote everything, short stories, poetry. Um, the funny thing is, is that once I started spoken word poetry, when I came to New York and, and that transitioned into rapping, I wasn't allowed to listen to rap music growing up. I wasn't permitted. So I find great irony <laughs> that I am a lyricist today, but I had a, a great passion for learning how to rap. So what were you, what were you, what were you reading as, as a child? What were the, were the books that really inspired I loved you? You were drawn horror. <laughs> horror. I was a huge, huge Stephen King fan and Dean R. Kuntz. So I would read these horror books because I kind of like escaping into these worlds. Any book that I could escape into a world that was different or had supernatural elements to it, I really endured. Like my favorite and, and, childhood film is The Never Ending Story. So. Right, and and how old were you when you were reading Stephen King? Because that's pretty oh, I was, intense. I was young. Uh, I, I was a voracious reader and I was, I'm not sure what level I was reading at at a young age, but I was reading a lot. Uh, I come from the family where my mom, she was the breadwinner for the family and our father was a stay-at-home dad. So every day when she came home from work or if she was attending the university, she would read to us every night. And then eventually when we were old enough, we would read to her, but we would do it every single night before we went to bed. 
And then I was just reading all day. So I think at a very young age, I was reading on a much higher grade level, but I'm not sure which grade. And, and that was your escape, that, that was escaping the situation that you were in. And yes. um, you, you guys kept it to yourself. What was? You, yes, we did. Um, yeah. <clears throat> it was confusing because, you know, our father made threats. Uh, he threatened us if we said anything that he would hurt our mother and he would hurt us. And it's a big secret for children to keep. For years. Huge, yeah. Um, and we went through this for 12, 13 years, um, but we had each other. And that's why I always say that I know that I came out on the other side, uh, the woman I am, because of my sister and because of my beautiful mom. Um, but we didn't tell her. And I think a lot of people are, may have, I always feel the need to kind of uh, stamp put a seal stamp of approval on my mom because some people don't understand when you go through abuse like that. They'll be like, your mom didn't know. She didn't know at right. all. Yeah. It was like, no, she wasn't home. She was making money for the family. She was supporting us. And our father had two sides to him. And anyone who knows someone, and he also had mental issues. He uh, was diagnosed as a schizophrenic. Um, he was actually in an institution for a while. Uh, my sister and a mental institution and my sister and I visited him and I always compare it to the one who flew over the cuckoo's nest. If you've seen that movie, yeah, that's what yeah. it felt like visiting him as a kid. Uh, but she didn't know. And we didn't say anything until we were much older. And by then she had already left him. And I remember right. she said to us, why didn't you say anything? We're like, mom, right. we didn't want him to hurt you. Right. Yeah. But, but you know, you know, when we were talking earlier this week, you were also saying that there was a side of your father where that he was extremely protective of you guys as well. So there was yes. this constant conflict of, you know, and I think that's part of probably his illness, you know, the, the, the schizophrenia, but he was also your protector in many ways too. Yeah. Yes. And that's why it was also very confusing because he could be very loving and funny and friendly and smart. Morris, I, I would say that he was super talented in learning things. Like he taught himself how to play piano. He taught himself how to play, um, to fix uh, cars. He was really great at math. He was, but you know, he grew up in the streets in Philly. He had a very difficult life. Uh, he was in jail. Uh, he lived on the streets and I know that obviously had a, a huge impact on his adulthood. And, but I always say, you know, you can't let your past um, control your future. At some point you have to take control of that and you can, and it's within your capacity to do so. Uh, I think my father never really held on to that philosophy. And for someone who was so gift, naturally gifted, it was quite sad to see, um, but he really did push us to work hard and to pursue our dreams. So I, I always appreciated that about him, but it was just incredibly confusing to see this side that's quite loving yeah. and then this other side that was the complete opposite. Yeah, especially being young and, you know, you don't really understand illnesses like that at such a young age. It's just that's my father. And it's so, um, mm -hmm. I mean, I yes. think it's incredible that you, you guys have managed to come out of that. And as you said, you know, move forward. Uh, and and what an incredibly positive 
move forward you guys have done with your life, you and your sister. I mean, Thank a lot you. of the times yeah. when I talk about you, I mean, I think we also need to also mention Cipriana as well, because you are attached to the hip in many ways. Um, yes, you know, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, in, in so many ways. Um, so um, you you moved you moved to dc you you finished high school in dc and then you no, went to in, Mar yeah. in maryland oh, oh you so you so you were I, living so i finished high school in uh maryland then we right. moved to dc then i did a year at college park and then i came to new york and you why did you come to new york uh, i started to become really involved in the spoken word scene and I knew that the spoken word scene when I came to New York was really strong. Like the, I used to slam at the Norwegian Cafe in the Lower yep, East Side. Of yes. And um, I, I didn't know anyone, so I was always the last to go on, and this was for open mic. So I started doing a few open mics, and then I was invited to actually compete in the competition, and that for me was exciting. And this was the first time that uh, I had actually perform poetry with music because they had musicians and they would just play with your spoken word. And for me, I felt like that was, um, it was like a light bulb went off when that moment uh, happened for me on stage. And um, I would always have people come up to ask me if I rapped. And I said, no, no, but I was like, let me try it. I was horrible at first, Morris. I did like every stereotypical thing right. that you think about rap. I had no idea what I was doing and I was horrible. So I gave up because I always thought writing came easy for me. And because it didn't come easy, I, you know, I was disappointed. And then I was like, well, sometimes you have to put work in to get, you always have to put work in to get better. So then I picked it back up. I just started practicing and going to as many open mics as I could to get um, practice. And you said that you weren't listening to hip hop growing up. So did you did you start listening to it when you came to New York? Uh, yes, that, so basically, it was like once you were, you know, uh, th then yes. it was like, all right, give it to me. Yeah, I want it all. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what what else? What other music were you were you listening to? Um, a lot of soul because uh, my mom is. She was in a band when she was younger. My father. Oh, uh, an incredible oh. voice and they both could sing well. And that's how I actually had a passion for music at a young age. And I would do school talent shows and I had solos and all that. And I really enjoyed music, but I listened to a lot of soul because that was what was in the house. Uh, one of my right. favorite all-time yeah. artists is Stevie Wonder, which is a big reason why my name is TK Wonder uh, because oh. I'm such a fan. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, yeah. And the um, I mean, the area of uh, D.C. And, and sort of Baltimore, Maryland is a very famous um, soul music uh, area. I mean, obviously, Marvin Gaye is from there. Um, and, uh, you know, they used to call D.C. Chocolate City um, yes. for a reason, because, yeah. it, you know, and then you had the go-go scene. Yes, the go-go um, scene's big. I, I think Ramp were from uh, Baltimore. Just just an amazing amazing area for music um yes and I, yeah, I think it doesn't really get the the kudos and the credits that it probably deserved um for its contribution to, to soul music and and jazz as well i would say you know um so you you started um you, you were doing your spoken word you you discovered the fact that music and spoken word could work together you started doing a little bit of rapping um 
was the sort of was the meeting with Taylor McFerrin was that the next stage or was that something because we met yes, through it Taylor. definitely was yeah. mm-hmm. I met uh, I had uh, his ex-girlfriend is a really good friend of mine and she introduced me to him and it's like oh I have this girlfriend she does music and that's initially how we met and started doing music and then we started doing shows together and for me that was great experience because it was the first time I was doing shows in front of large audiences in New York as a rapper um and it, it was always um a time that I really enjoyed because I did got a lot of experience performing uh, shows with Taylor. Yeah, because we did. I mean, we did a lot of shows together back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was just before we um, before we we started this. I was trying to remember. I mean, like I had you guys play at Central Park Summer Stage. Yes. Do you, do you remember yeah, well, who you were? Yes, Raphael Sadiq. Raphael Sadiq. That's it. Um, you mm-hmm. were opening up for Raphael Sadiq. Which was for Erica, and, and Miami. you opened up for Erica Badu for us in Miami um, yes. at the yeah. Delano when I think yeah. you guys must have played at nine o'clock and we had to wait about two and a half hours yes. for Erica to come on. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah, she was well, in the elevator. Away. She was in the elevator for an hour. Yeah, I was oh. standing outside of the elevator and I'm like, she can't be in the elevator. No, no, she's in the elevator. I go, no, yeah. so I had to go up to a room and she was yeah. in the bath in her room. She, it was She'd definitely in, a memorable night. Oh, yeah. She fell in love with the bathtub in her room at the Delano that night. <laughs> um, and and then we did a lot of club shows with you. Um, I think yes. New Blue. And, yeah, it's great, great times. Um, mm-hmm. And you also did a lot of touring in, in Europe as well um, as an artist. Yes. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, I met this really talented composer uh, by the name of Kirill Jaikovsky. So he he actually um, composes for the ballet and for films, but he also has another side where he's an artist and he does music. So he works with a few uh, artists and I'm one of the lead singers So and rappers. So we go on tour together and we've been everywhere from Northeast, Northeast Africa to the Solomon Islands to Serbia, Albania. Oh, wow. I mean, everywhere in East, Eastern Europe, um, a lot of places in Western Europe, Portugal, uh, it's been really incredible. I performed in front of the biggest crowds of my musical career. Uh, 150,000 people I performed at in front of um, in Poland's um, festival called Woodstock. And I was so nervous. I was so nervous, but you know, I have it in my head. I, you know, I try to psych myself out when I get on stage by pretending that it's not that many people. And then, but once I get in the zone, I'm fine. But it was nerve wracking as an artist being in front of that many people, but I love it. It's just such amazing energy. The music festival scene in Europe, it's quite different than the States. Do you get more nervous? So you get more nervous playing in front of large crowds than you do playing in front of- I get more nervous being, nope. I get more nervous playing in front of intimate crowds. Right, I do because you could actually see their faces. And, uh, yes. yeah, yeah. But I, my, my thing with performing is I love connecting with people and looking at them. So right. I, I always think it's a good thing to have nerves because it means that you yeah. want to do well. So. Yes, yeah. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, if people are not, if, if an artist is nonchalant, then it's like they're not really taking, you know, taking it in, of, you know, the experience that they're going to deliver i mean um yeah 
Um, so, you know, music is something you continue. We're going to talk a little bit about, we're going to talk more about music later because there's some exciting things that you're doing. But um, um, let's talk a little bit about fashion because um, that is, you know, you you are such a, you know, multi, multi-faceted artist. Um, fashion is also a big part of your, um, your career. Um, yes. So, you know, tell us a little bit about your, your, your fashion career um, and, and how that evolved. Uh, it evolved with my sister, uh, Cipriana. Uh, we started doing a lot of street style photography together. And when we attended our first, uh, first fashion week in New York, uh, we received a lot of press from Fashion Week because street style photography, not right now, but <laughs> it's quite huge during Fashion Week. So we received mm-hmm. a lot of press and then it, it kind of just evolved from that point. Uh, I had no idea that I would be involved in fashion, that I would have a career in it. It was not something I ever thought about doing. I always enjoyed fashion. I loved styling myself because I think of fashion as a way to express yourself. It's a fun way to express yep. yourself. And, um, but I really enjoyed the element of working with my sister. I think the best part of having a fashion career is that I get to work with my best friend and my sister. Um, for me, that's the most exciting. And we've worked with a lot of major brands, a lot of couture brands, and we've been really fortunate and had some really incredible opportunities. And when you were growing up, were there any sort of brands that you aspired that you then ended up working with or? Um... Um, no, no, I, I, I believe me, it wasn't on my radar. That's why I said becoming involved in fashion was not something I ever expected or even thought of. Uh, it just happened. Um, but I'm a firm believer in um being open to doors that you may have not considered, but that could work for you and you walk through them. So that's always been my philosophy about opportunities. And I think one of the uh, amazing things about you and your sister um, in the fashion world is you've been very vocal and outspoken about diversity uh, and issues and put those to the forefront because fashion, you know, is woke now but you know let's be real you know like you know all this stuff has been going on from time immemorial and i'm Mm -hmm. glad people are waking up but you guys have never feared you know speaking up about it so i'd like you to talk a little bit about that because i think it's very important that people hear your your thoughts about it uh so the moment that we began fashion we were always speaking up on issues of diversity and inclusivity Uh, We knew how important it it was, and it still is, and that representation that was severely lacking, uh, you know, seeing Black women that have our hair type specifically was not a common thing that you would see in fashion at all. Uh, My sister was actually a professional model uh, years ago, and she had horrible incidents where people wanted her to change her hair because the type of texture that we have is not seen as attract, like commercially attractive. Yep. Yep. Um, it's all these stereotypes and negativity attached to certain textures of black hair and getting over those perceptions and speaking about them and not being afraid to be uh, public uh, going forward with those discussions 
uh, we did a TED Talks on diversity in the industry. And one of the things I brought up was hair. Uh, another topic we brought up was colorism. Um, mm -hmm. As a black woman, uh, our dark skin queens uh, aren't receiving the representation that they deserve. And it's, a, it's, it's still an obstacle in the industry um, tackling those issues and discussing them. I think I'm glad that more people are aware and they're talking about representation and diversity. However, it shouldn't be treated as a trend. I think, you know, mm -hmm. now everybody has a cause that they want to support. And, and sometimes people are doing these things because it looks cool to be trendy and to have a cause, but you have to be in it for the long run because change Correct. doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't change Correct. from a year to two years. Yeah. Um, you have to be in for the long run. Yeah, it's, it, instead of giant steps, it's baby steps. And we've got to keep taking those baby <laughs> steps. I mean, and you know, I've seen, I'm not going to mention some of these brands, but I've seen some of the more recent campaigns and it feels like they've just got, we need dark skin models in our thing. You know, yes. it's like, it, it's like you have a quota to be met. <laughs> right. It seems very sort of knee, knee jerk rather than uh, authentic. And I, ju I just hope that, you know, this, trend well trend, this this thinking continues and as you said they're in it they're in it for the long run um you right, know because I, I always say that it doesn't matter how people get to this point even if they just started to be vocal about certain issues that's great but just know that it's longevity involved when you're campaigning when you're advocating for these issues yeah no, I agree. And, you, you know, you mentioned hair um, and I, I, I do want to talk more about hair because, um, you know, it, it's it's, you know, and, and I thought it'd be interesting for us to talk about the Crown Act, uh, which was passed yeah. in, I think, California in January uh, 2019. And the Crown Act uh, yeah. stands for Create a Respectful and Open World for Natural Hair. Um, just talk you a little bit about I did my <laughs> research. Of course I did my research. <laughs> we talked about this earlier. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, it's it's interesting because when we were having a conversation before about and I was talking about the Crown Act, uh, I think a lot of people don't aren't aware that there's still discrimination at the workplace for natural hairstyles, um, even at schools. Uh, children are being penalized for having natural hair or um, not ha or having locks. Um, and this is a discussion that still needs to be had because it's affecting people monetarily um, and mentally. I know for myself, when I started uh, to become natural and I started my natural hair journey, I received a ton of derogatory comments. And this is not on social media. Uh, where you can just block and delete <laughs> the negativity. This was in person. Um, people, strangers were not afraid to come up to me and tell me that my hair was ugly, um, that I should fix it. Why did my hair look like that? I'd be so much prettier if I didn't have it. Um, you know, Thanks and, for and the advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is <Wow>. exactly. <laughs> but this was something I dealt with anytime I was in public. So anytime I left my house, I was dealing with derogatory comments about my hair. Um, I had reached a point where I was letting it affect my confidence um, and the way that I viewed my own strands until I reached a point in my life where I was telling myself, why was I listening to these type of negative people? Why right. was I letting them control the positive way I thought about myself? And uh, you can't have any control over what someone else says or what they think, but you 100% can have control over 
how you process that, how you react to it. So once I started thinking along those lines, my whole perception changed. And it felt like a huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders. It was really liberating. Right. And, and, and then, you know, something else that we talked about was uh, when people think that they're being, you know, friendly and they say, can I touch your hair? Right. <laughs> Which must be just, you know, like, you know, yes. like, you know, like, yeah. I, you know, Hey, I, I would at least, I think the question in itself is rude. It doesn't matter how friendly or kind someone is when they, or friendly when someone asks that question. Uh, they don't know it's rude uh, because, you know, at this point in my life, I've reached a point where I'm just glad they ask because a lot of people will just come up and touch my hair without even asking. Right. At least if right. someone asks, right. I can be like, no. So, right. <laughs> but right. I think there's um, still this curiosity that comes with natural hair that's not up for me as a black woman to sate. Um, I don't have to sate that curiosity. Uh, first off, it's a pandemic and we have a virus going around. Why would I want you all up in my hair touching it? Secondly, I have no idea where your hands have been. Morris, right. do you know how many times I've been out yeah. and seen people not wash their hands? Oh, yeah. So I don't want that on my strands. Yeah. <laughs> Thirdly, um, I, I think a, a lot of times too, people don't understand that touching someone's hair is touching a body part. I remember my yeah. boyfriend had this great quote and he said that if someone touched your breast or your butt, they would be offended. Hair yeah. is the same thing. It's on my body. It's a part yeah. of me. Um, yeah. And I take great care of it. Um, yeah. And I yeah. know that some people don't understand that, uh, but it's not for them to understand. So. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's very, it, it's just very interesting. And, and I'm, I'm so glad that you're, you're, first of all, that you're proud of your crown and uh, you're, you know, you're vocal about it as well. Um, yes. You know, I think that's very, very important. Um, let's talk a little bit about your sunglasses line that you, you just did, because, you know, not only is it a product um, that that's come out, but obviously there's a cause behind it as well. So yes. um, mm -hmm. I think it'd be very important for you to just tell everybody about this, this new, um, sure. this new, this new line that you've done. So my sister, Cipriana and I uh, teamed up with Aperso Eyewear to first they approached us about doing a, a collection capsule. And then we inquired if we could design the, the sunglasses and we're really um, grateful for this opportunity that the brand gave us creative freedom. So we did everything. We shot the campaign uh, with this amazing uh, photographer, creative named Terry Gates. Um, we work with him often and he shot all of our photography. We designed the sunglasses from the shapes to the colors. My sister designed these, came up with the idea of doing a hammer and nail style because our father was always working with tools when we were younger and fixing things. Um, and he was trying to teach us to fix things as well. And, um, but we thought the idea of the nail and hammer would be great. And I came up with the figurative sense of what those mean, um, a figurative meaning, I mean. Um, so the nail and hammer are tools that you use to build things and it represents building more kindness, more tolerance, more acceptance in the world. Um, and once we came up with those designs, um, we find the brand finalized it. And then we approached this incredible foundation called the Loveland 
Foundation, and they focus on providing support to communities of color with a particular focus on therapy for Black women and girls. And this is really something that's really important to see for NI and I, because we know just how important therapy is for Black women and, and girls, especially for us coming from the type of background that we came from. Um, I always say that I can't imagine a child going through that alone. I was very blessed because I had my sister and we had each other. That's why I always say, I think we were each other's therapy because we always had someone we could talk to about what was going on. A lot of uh, young women or girls don't have that. And um, I think that that's a, a wonderful, incredible cause. So that was one of the main reasons why we wanted to team up with them because we felt like we also had a personal connection as well. Yeah, I mean, um, I think I think mental illness uh, and and the you know the wonders of therapy. We we spend a lot of time talking about fixing you know aches and pains in our body, but we right. we spend less time fixing the aches and pains in our minds. Oh, um, yeah. And the two are symbiotic. You know, you know, yes. not only do we exactly. need to be exercising every day to stay healthy, our bodies, mm -hmm. we need to, on our hearts, we need to exercise our minds to to and and you know do you know, gymnastics with our mind to yes. keep it in shape as well. And exactly. unfortunately, unfortunately, in this country, um, you know, it's very expensive to get medical help. Um, it, so mm -hmm. I think I, I think it's an amazing cause to give people, you know, a way, especially uh, young uh, African-American women to to get the chance to to have that help. If people want to um, contribute to this, obviously by buying the sunglasses, how can they, do, where can they find it? Uh, they can just go on my page uh, or they can go to my twin sister's page and just, we have a link in our bios that they can click on. Right. And you were saying $10 from every sale goes to the foundation. $10, right? $10 from every sale goes to the Loveland Foundation. Yes. Right. Which, which is pretty, which is a lot of, that can really add up quite quickly. That's yes. fantastic. Um, so, um, you know, I'd like to um, talk a little bit about sort of like lockdown uh, because, um, you know, and how, how it was for you. And then within lockdown, so many things were going on. So, um, yes. you know, if we, we could talk about sort of like, you know, the pandemic for you um, and then we can get into mm -hmm. sort of like the different the different things, you know. Sure. Um, uh, I remember the last, the day that I, the last day that I was out before quarantine began. It was March 15th. I was at a friend's birthday party. Was it and your friend Damon? was? And who was your friend? Legendary Damon. Yeah, there you go. You can't just say a friend. Come on. Give David some props. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> Legendary Damon. He's an incredible, incredible person. It was his 21st birthday, right? Yes, it's 21st birthday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we were all joking that <laughs> this was going to be the last day in a long time that we'd be out. And uh, it was foreboding. So I quarantined for three months. I didn't leave the house with the exception of protesting. Um, so it was scary times, you know, who would ever thought that, you know, we'd all be on lockdown, not be able to leave your house without a mask. Uh, just shows you how crazy the world can turn and the drop of a hat. And uh, after three months of quarantining, well, four months actually, uh, I went to Nevada because my mom and stepdad lived there. And 
it was really relaxing. I felt really stifled in New York during quarantine. I felt creatively sure. stifled. So that's why I was thinking, oh, what can I do? Um, because when I record music, I, I don't have a home studio. I mean, now I do, but uh, during that time I didn't. So I was like, what can I do? I just started writing. So and drawing and I found that I, um, I could draw. So I was illustrating cartoons to all the issues I like to talk about, like equality, diversity, police brutality. And I was making illustrations on these topics. Uh, I submitted the first time I ever submitted for a writing grant and I was one of 10 winners and it was a really proud moment for me. Oh, wow. And my uh, essay, which I wrote on racial microaggressions that I experienced as a Black woman, uh, was published in the magazine. So it had uh, uh, Yara Shahidi on the cover and Janelle Monae and Mary J. Blige. And it was uh, called Cultured Magazine. Uh, and that, for me, was a very proud moment. So talk a little bit about the, the topic that you, you wrote the essay on. Um, uh, I, 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 talk, I talked about racial micro, microaggressions I experienced. Um, Anywhere from, you know, being in a store and um, a white patron is in front of me, uh, I mean, behind me, and I'm bored for the white yeah. patron, or if I'm flying first class, my sister and I dealt with this a lot because we worked with a lot of um, brands, and we were flown for work events, first class, and dealing with staff on airplane you know flight attendants not believing that we we're in first class yeah. or uh, i think customers. you were in the wrong seat i think you're in the mm -hmm. wrong seat or yeah. even or just only asking you oh can i see your ticket number oh you know your right. ticket yeah, yeah or even customers standing that aren't in first class that feel the need to tell us like oh this is the first class line economy's right. over there yeah like, no we're in the right line just right. i mean little things like that that actually add up to big things yeah right yeah i mean that yes i I've yes, I've seen, I've seen, you know, I mean, I've, or I've, you know, I've, the, I've, the I've, common I've, one of being in a store and constantly being approached, like, oh, can I get this shoe size? Yeah, I don't work here. I don't even have a name tag on. I have like sunglasses on, a purse, and a bag, and those aren't clues, you know, right. things yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, or or being asked when you go to a, a store, uh, can I help you? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. In other words, mm -hmm. you're in the wrong place. Yes. Right. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, you, you discovered the love of, of illustration. Um, do you draw uh, with pencil or do you use? Uh, I draw with pencil. Uh, and my sister, Sibrana, she is an amazing artist. Uh, she's incredible. She does her medium as more um, real life. Uh, so she is incredible. So I think some of those genes passed off to me and I just found them. Uh, <laughs> but yes, I draw with pencil on paper and then I scan the images onto my iPad and that's how I color all the images on the iPad digitally, but I can draw all the illustrations. Wow. And you know, we talked a little bit about your writing. You 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 forgot to say that you actually wrote a novel when you were Oh uh, when I was a, a kid, writer. yes. Yes, yes. It was a religious supernatural <laughs> book. I have no idea what I was talking about. But I was quite thrilled that I wrote a book. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> what was it called? I don't remember what it's called. I still have it. It's like in my closet somewhere. But yeah, it was. I just remember it was like a religious supernatural thriller. Yeah. Sounds like um. What, uh, uh, Dan, what, what, um, uh, the book that I'm thinking of. Uh, the first author's name is Dan. Like Tom Hanks made a movie 
Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. If you know what's uh, Yeah. So yeah. like a lot of religious elements and yeah, supernatural. I don't know. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, a quote that you, um, that I saw you, 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 you uh, put in your, you know, in something that you sent me was from Nina Simone. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, uh, which was uh, an artist Judaist to reflect the times. Yes. And I think that's very, very poignant um, for the next thing we're going to talk about. Right. Um, that you were in, well, you were not in, not inspired, but you, 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 you felt with what had been happening with, with George Floyd and, and the, and all the other Black Lives Matter and then personal mm -hmm. experiences for you and your sister. You, you, Taylor. yeah you put out a piece of music um which which is coming out actually um may the 18th right yes. um mm -hmm. talk talk a little bit about that and and how that came about um, okay um i wrote it last year and uh, i collaborated with this really amazing uh, producer and artist named kari martin martin and um I wrote to the track, but it was really important for me to focus on police brutality. Um, I always say that a lot of times black women are left out of the conversations when it pertains to police brutality. And as a black woman that has experienced it and my twin sister, Sabrina has experienced it as well. Um, she was wrongfully incarcerated here in New York city and she sued the police department and won a settlement. I was overseas and a police officer, airport security singled me out for a strip search. I was the only person of color on the flight and a male police officer was attempting to conduct it. I knew that that wasn't right. So I put my foot down and said, I'm not gonna do it until a woman. Police officer is here and he still refused to leave and even when she arrived, but I refused for, to do the strip search until he left. And then the US embassy became involved but these are just two incidents that we've had dealing with police brutality. We've had, we've run into police brutality quite often in Maryland, um, incidents with hate crimes, um, seeing a black man almost die by being beaten by state troopers. Uh, so it was you, really- You saw that, you, you, that's something yes, that you, you saw. Yes, we were really young. Our father testified in the case on the, the man's behalf. Um, so, these are things and did anything and did did anything happen or was it just like your father like you know risked his <laughs> risked danger doing that and then the caves was thrown out or do, do you remember um, i don't i was younger young so I, I don't remember all the details but i do remember i don't know if he tried to intervene or not i mean i don't think he would have because he probably would have right would have shot yeah, yeah yeah right but he definitely did testify on his behalf um when that person sued uh, the police. Uh, but, you know, that's jarring seeing something like that when you're younger. Uh, but see, Brian and I, we'd always been aware of racism at a very young age because when we were about 10, 11, uh, we were crossing the street and a pickup truck full of young white men attempted to run us off the road and called us niggers. Um, our father- in, in Ma This is in Maryland. This is in, in Maryland. Maryland. Mm -hmm. And Baltimore County. And our father waited on that road every day for a week until with us in the back seat, seeing if we could see the car, if they were in the neighborhood. And we did see them on the seventh day. My father chased after them, followed them to their home, called the police. Nothing was done because one of the young men's uh, relative was a police officer. 
So we have a lot, unfortunately, a lot of experience with police brutality. So that was why it was really important for me to address it in the song. Um, I shot the music video in Vegas um, in the desert. My sister was a cinematographer and we co-directed it together. And uh, that was another really pertinent part of this project. I wanted Black women directing it um, and also Black women that experienced police brutality. So uh, I think uh, what my sister contributed was really amazing and I'm, I'm really, really proud of this project. Right. And the song is called Fuck Peace. Fuck Correct. Peace, yes. yes. Uh, it's about the hypocrisy of asking black and brown communities to be peaceful when they're brutalized by police. Ah, okay. And uh, it's coming up May the 18th and um, May 18th, it's, yes. and it's, it's going to be available on all streaming platforms like Spotify and Apple. And yes. it's, it, it's your record label, right? You, yeah. It, yeah, so yeah, it's my baby. I'm putting it out with the producer. So it's our our collaboration that we're putting out, we're releasing it together. And this is the first time as an artist in all the years I've been doing music that I've released this um, with my own hands. So yep. it was it's Fantastic. really exciting for me, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's the beauty of the fact that we live in a digital age, that it's easier to do to do things like that because we have the platforms, we don't need to spend money printing CDs and or vinyl. Um, well, manufacturing, I should say, and then trying to distribute and getting in the stores, you can get on all those platforms. And yes. with, with you guys having the um, the network um, uh, and the social following, you can then promote it. So it's right. it's a it's a much more, I would say, democratic way of um, you know getting yourself heard uh, using the power of social media to do that, which which is fantastic. Exactly. And I, do you know I that wish... song called "Sisters Are Doing It for Themselves"? Absolutely, that's what I think of. Absolutely, <laughs> Annie, Annie Lennox and Aretha Franklin. Yes, yes, mm -hmm, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. But you, you were too young to, to know that song when it came out. I know, I, I know a lot of music. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually was around when that song came out. But that, yeah. that was that was that actually introduced Aretha Franklin to a lot of white people who mm -hmm. didn't know her. Fan base. I mean, yeah yeah created a whole new fan base and mm -hmm. kind of the same time that uh tina you know you know did her comeback with her whole new fan base as well so so um, two of my favorite artists that i am inspired by so these are two artists i look at live performance footage before i perform uh it's tina turner and rage against the machine these are wow. two artists that That's i always look at live performance. well yes but tina she has this she has a rock side as yes. well. And oh, no Rage Dance Machine is a rock rap band. So, you know, but they have incredible live performances and they are two of my, by far my favorite artists that I get inspired for, for live performances. Did you see the Tina Turner documentary? I did. I thought it was incredible. And yeah, mm -hmm. um, you know, just hearing her speak about her, the abuse that she went through and, how she overcame that and how she didn't want it to define her life. I right. think a lot of times too, when people have trauma, uh, sometimes they might let it define who they are and it doesn't have to, you know, yeah. you're in control of that. I mean, you're not yeah. in control of how other people define you, but you're in control of how you define yourself. Yeah. yeah. So I love she, that she was able to do that. Yeah. And, and it, it was great that she, she really sat down and she told her story a very, mm -hmm. in a very, very honest way. I mean, you know, the movie was great, but, this was her actually telling the story and the, the the thing that i found so 
so poignant was when she decided to leave Ike, it was like she left everything. Everything. You know, like she, she left with money no in. money. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No money, no nothing. You know, some people, some friends helped her and she, you know, was in a safe environment. And then she basically got on with it and became a, a superstar. I mean, crossed yes. over beyond, beyond, you know. Um, and she said for her, uh, you know, her, her biggest hits didn't occur until she was in her 40s. So I love this messaging behind her saying this because it's never too late to pursue your yeah. dreams. I think, yeah. especially in this industry and entertainment, it's all about youth and how young you are. And yeah. But there's yeah. accomplishments to be had at any age. I, I just hate yeah. that narrative in the industry. Yeah. And I really like that she spoke about that. I, I agree. But but my but my all time favorite, um, I mean, I love a lot of the music and I love a lot of music she did with Ike, but my all time favorite was River Deep Mountain High. Um, oh, and yes. it's surprisingly when they were saying it wasn't a hit. It yes, was that, like, I, <laughs> I was surprised by that. Yes, I thought it was a hit. Yes. Incredible yeah, I think, piece of work. Um, it was actually a hit in England uh, where I'm from. So, so that's okay. why I thought it was a hit everywhere, because um, we just I mean, we loved the wall of sound and Phil Spector, who uh, passed away with and had his own demons. But his his musical production, especially back then, was just just I mean, it's like that was done in mono, but it feels like they have 300 musicians like to, all playing out of one tiny microphone to create that mm -hmm. incredible wall of sound. Which, yes. um, yeah, amazing, amazing. So um, what what's next for, for you, for you guys? I mean, uh, um, my my sister and I are working on a project. Uh, I guess I can't really talk about it, but we're super excited about it. <laughs> it's involved in the, the entertainment industry. Um, and I'll be going in hard and promoting my single that's coming out soon. Um, and my sister and I as well are collaborating on a few things. I just can't, I don't know if I should talk about it. Right, <laughs> no, yet. you don't, but, you don't need to talk about anything, You yeah. Yeah, but I think uh, music-wise, I'm really looking forward because it's been a while since I released something as well. Um, and um, also to continuing this conversation on talking about diversity, inclusivity, and police brutality. Um, I think it's really important. And, uh, you know, I, I never get talking, tired of talking about these issues because they're, they're, they're really imperative for me. Right. Yeah, I think that the, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, George, the George Floyd case um, was, it wasn't the solution. It was the start of accountability. Yes. Um, and, you know, accountability can lead to actual change. Um, do you feel mm -hmm. optimistic about where things are going now? Um, I know there's I'm, a lot of work to be I'm done. Always, still, I'm but... always, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. I'm always hopeful. I mean, you know, uh, growing up, and I had mentioned before, dealing with violence, I always tried to see the silver lining in things. Um, I uh, implement that philosophy <laughs> with everything in my life, uh, including um, social justice and uh, issues on equality. Um, I'm hopeful, but at the same time, too, every time I wake up, it seems like there's a new story of someone being right. shot or murdered by police. I think also, too, changing this narrative of saying police killings, um, police aren't above murder uh, or being called murderers. Uh, these are murders um, that are occurring right now. Um, it's not killings um, and they cannot be justified. 
So. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, it's just very disheartening when you get a, a positive, um, you know, uh, verdict, not positive, but the, the right verdict right. in, in yes. a case. And then the next day in another state, the same, same thing breath. happens. Which is um, what happened with George, on the yeah. day George yeah. Ford's verdict. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, we're almost out of time, but is there anything else you, you want to say? Um, I would ask, actually like to ask if anyone had any questions because I sure. saw some pop up and I yep. didn't get a chance to see any. Anybody have any questions? If anyone okay. has a question, feel free. I can maybe talk about my favorite show moment real quickly. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I uh, opened for Sting in France and I'm a huge Sting fan. And my sister asked me if I could get a photo with him. And I said, I wouldn't do it because he's probably already, you know, constantly being asked if he can get a photo. But someone in my band member who's the violinist was a big fan, went up to him and he was so kind and sweet. So I walked up to the side of them and just stood there. And then Sting points to me and he's like, this is who I want to take a photo with. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I took a photo and then I sent it to my sister. I was like, "That's so I got a photo." With. It was a, it was the best day because we performed and it went well. And then we got to see his concert, and they kept saying, "Do you want to stay for the whole, the whole show?" I was like, "Of course." What kind of question is that? So that was a really fun and memorable moment in music for me. Yeah. Well, he, yeah, he's got good taste. So, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of the album again? Oh, the, it's not an album. It's a single release and it's called Fuck Peace. So it'll be out on May 18th. And we can say so, that on Instagram as well. Is that all your real hair? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the number one question that I always get about my hair. Yes. <laughs> I still remember seeing. Oh, see, Brianna said she still remembers yeah. receiving that photo. <laughs> well, um, I mean, I, I, this has been incredible. I, I'm really grateful that you, first of all, agreed to do this and also that you um, were, were um, so generous in sharing your really incredible journey uh, because I think it's, it's, it's just important to talk about this because it's in, we, we don't know what other people are dealing with, with their own personal struggles. And when they see someone like you and your sister, it's such a huge inspiration um, to 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 other people and to 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 let people know that you know you can make out of um, uh, adversity you can actually make such um, progress and positivity and I you know I you know I I'm always so happy when I see you guys in newspapers and magazines and you know, I just very proud to know you. So um, well, it's you been an much. absolute pleasure. And um, I can't wait to see you again in person, which should be very, very soon. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I'm proud to know you. And yeah. I've known you over the years. And yeah. you yeah. have always been an inspiration. So this was actually an honor for me today. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm blushing. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having thank, me. <laughs> thank, my pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for joining. And Yes, thank um, you, everyone. We will see you soon. Take care. Okay. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Giant Step Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe or follow us on Instagram at Giant Step. Music is by Cinego.
please also visit our website giantstep.net to learn more about our award-winning marketing agency.